A reading according to the Gospel of Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This is actually the first time I've dialed into a sermon, so um, you can give me feedback later. <laughs> uh, it's, it was actually so lovely to see the image behind Katya uh, because it brought me right back to January of 2008, uh, which is that on the steps of leading up to that altar, uh, I was ordained a priest by Bishop Nettie Rivera. And I think now I know uh, a few of the folks who are, who are on this call were actually there that day. And I hope I have not embarrassed you too much since then uh, and with what I'm about to say now. That day we observed the feast of the conversion of St. Paul. And we heard the story of how Saul of Tarsus and his vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus changed the world. We heard how Saul had set out that morning with hate in his heart and ended the day sightless and dumbfounded, trying to make sense of the new person that Jesus had asked him to be. That story so resonated with me, a young adult convert, that I have worn it as a mantle for many years. But lately, I have been more grateful for the rest of Paul's story. A more mature Christian knows that the mountaintop conversion experience lasts only until you come down the mountain and start doing the work that Jesus gave us to do. And that work is full of conflict and pain, even in Christian communities that profess to and genuinely love Jesus. For too many years, I have resisted that conflict. When someone's politics weren't to my liking, I first tried to persuade them I was right. Then I left when I failed to talk someone out of their deeply held beliefs and values. When a church leader didn't do ministry the way I liked, 
I tried to convince them that there was a right way and it was mine. When that didn't work, I would say, this church just isn't the right fit for me. I found it over and over again easier to withdraw from relationships rather than live with people in anxiety and conflict. Today, I can see how those choices to withdraw were sinful. I walked away from lessons the body of Christ was trying to teach me because I thought it was too hard to learn a lesson. Conflict is not something that God asks us to avoid. Conflict may even produce righteousness if we engage it with a spirit of love. So we want to suggest this morning that conflict offers four gifts to individual Christians in our communities. First, Christian conflict teaches you that you are alive. Only dead people experience no threat to their egos. Only dead people never cry or yell. Only dead people fully yield or become invisible to the living. Conflict is the opposite of death. Christian conflict happens when living people trying to do the best they can bump into each other. Christian conflict teaches you that you are alive. Christian conflict also teaches you that you care. The funny thing about intense anxiety and anger is that they are actually opposite sides of the coin of peace and ecstatic love. The fullness of peace happens when we learn to exist in a broken world of anxiety. The fullness of love happens when we are both kind and angry when we encounter unkindness. One gift of Christian conflict is the opportunity to have feelings about important things while continuing to extend loving kindness to others. Conflict teaches you that you have feelings, that you care. The third thing I think it teaches us uh, is that uh, Christian conflict tells us what are, where our priorities really lie. When you end a relationship over an argument, you're choosing some other more comfortable and validating relationship over the broken one. We feel more at ease with the less conflicted choice, but it may not reflect our best selves, the one God made us to be. Even our inner conflicts reveal the difference between our actions and what our behaviors have prioritized. So when we avoid conflict, we're really avoiding seeing ourselves the way God sees us. And that is not the Christian endeavor. Finally, Christian conflict teaches us that what we do impacts other people. If you have really managed through luck to reach some level of self-sufficiency in this world, you might be fooled into thinking that you are able to exist independently of other people or even God. Conflict, even at its simplest, most benign form, can be a searing reminder that what we do matters. It impacts other people. It shapes our reality. And boy, howdy, it matters to God. 
If we speak without care, other people feel hurt and God weeps. If we vote without care, our neighbors hurt and God weeps. If we hoard our treasure, the poor hurt and God weeps. Conflict, as unpleasant as it feels, is a potent reminder that what we do impacts other people and often not in the way we intended. So if conflict is so great for Christians, you might ask, why do we spend so much energy in the church and in the world trying to smooth it over and avoid it? I think there's a lot in St. Paul's very human story that points to why. After his conversion, Paul became a church planter, zealous to baptize until the story that broke his heart open. But that zeal was met with constant conflict. He was assailed by Roman authorities who worried about the nascent Jesus movement upending their stranglehold on political and military power. Paul engaged in regular conflict with other Christians. Some who knew Jesus initially doubted the veracity of his encounter with Jesus. He was just some crazy guy off the street who used to hurt them. Why should they believe him? Others were put off by Paul's stubborn insistence that even Gentiles could be dreamers of God's dreams, no less than James, Jesus' own brother, and Peter. Paul's letter to the church in Rome was probably drafted when he was on his way to Rome for the first time. And the passage we heard this morning is colored by Paul's growing expectation that the conflicts he was experiencing were worth running towards, not away from. He ran towards Rome, though he seemed to know it would eventually be the end of his earthly ministry. Paul's exhortations in the letter to the Romans might seem mutually exclusive from our human point of view. We might ask, how can someone hate what is evil, compete with others who are trying to be good and be at peace? Might not sound peaceful to us. That's a good question. Here and in other places, Paul suggests that before we were in Christ, we were dead. We were people who did not engage in real, honest conflict. We walked away from God and others when times got tough. We humans allowed the best of ourselves to be diminished by a fear of death, rather than a fear of never having really lived. So perhaps hating evil and competition are a part of healthy conflict that could produce righteousness. Paul greeted the conflict in Rome as a privilege. After writing his epistle to the church in Rome, he continued his missionary journeys, and on the way, he encountered another conflict and ended up in prison in Caesarea Philippi. He managed some sophisticated legal maneuvers, appealing to his status as a Roman citizen to afford him due process rights that other, uh, other Jews would not have been afforded. And his petition was granted by Governor Festus, who sent him on to Rome to be judged by Caesar. And that, friends, is the part of Paul's story that's just beginning to make sense to me. 
While he did not necessarily pick fights, Paul also did not shy away from the conflicts that would reveal he was alive in Jesus Christ. Paul didn't shy away from conflicts that gave him the chance to show Jesus's loving kindness in new and unexpected ways to new people he would have no reason to speak to or with. He didn't shy away from conflicts that revealed that his real priority was Jesus and the body of Christ gathered in his name. And most of all, Paul did everything, even engage in conflict, like God was watching. Because God was watching. And eventually, the whole world would read Paul's stories. He had an impact. Dear people of God, conflict is not our enemy. Evil and death are our enemy. Don't pick fights. But don't walk away from good fights either. Christian conflict is a tool. It's a tool we use to fight evil while bearing the banner of love. Take up the banner. Take up the cross. Amen.